Matthew chapter 25. This is a different pulpit than, than what was here last time I came. Am I right? It was bigger last time, right? All right, that's what I thought. I'm going to try not to knock it over, right? It tilts. Maybe, hey, maybe it tilts with me. This may work all right. I'll just aim, okay? I'm going to aim at whoever it is I'm talking to. And I, I'm teasing, right? I'll leave it right down the middle. That way nobody feels like I'm picking on them. But Matthew chapter 25, we will pick up in verse 31. I'll give you just a second to get there. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, and I am reading in the Holman translation, so it may read just a little bit different than yours, but it will be uh, pretty close to the same. Let's, let's see what God's Word says. Oh, thank you, church. Thank you, thank you. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in, or without clothes, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison... And you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whenever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father, we thank you for the day and we thank you for your word. God, I pray that our Hearts and our minds would be open to hear what you have to say, and I pray, Lord, that you would overcome the limitations of your speaker this morning, and I pray, God, um, that you would speak to each and every one who's within the sound of my voice. Um, have your way in this service, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have uh, a small confession to make. I have stood before a judge three times in my life. I want to tell you about those three times right quick. The first time involves a fishing story. 
Now, we all know fishing stories tend to get out of hand, right? In numbers and size, right? But what I'm about to tell you is 100% true. It is a fish story, but it's a true fish story, all right? I want to distinguish my fish story from everybody else's, okay? Several years ago, I went with a friend of mine, uh, a builder friend of mine, fishing down at uh, Lake Latonka, right? Right beside Mount Scott. We had planned this out for quite some time. And um, when you plan to take off work for a day to go fishing, you realize it doesn't matter what weather you get, you're going fishing, right? You're going fishing. So um, it, was, it was spring. It was April, mid-April. Guess what kind of weather we got? Rain. Yeah. Thunderstorms. And uh, I picked the guy up, right? And he's like, we good? I said, lightning don't scare me, right? Y'all know my story. <laughs> I just load up and go, whatever, right? So we went on down to the lake, and uh, the clouds had kind of rolled in, and we had stopped by a fishing license for that particular lake. And I asked the lady, I said, hi, is there any, there any sand bass in this lake? She said, nope. Nope, no sand bass, just bass, crappie, perch, catfish, stuff like that. It's great. I love to catch sand bass because when you catch one, you usually catch 50, right? Like it, it's just a lot. So either way, we get out on the water and clouds completely cover the mountainside. I mean completely. You cannot see the mountain from the clouds. Thunder rolling, right? And I told him, I'm like, dude, we are in Exodus right now. Moses is on the mountain, okay? You can't see it from the cloud. Lightning and thunder going on. We're down here. This has got to be good, right? It's almost biblical. This has got to be good. So we begin to fish. And uh, by the way, we were the only boat on the water. The only boat on the water, right? This guy's saying, yeah, and you shouldn't have been, right? Either way, we begin to catch fish. And I have an 18-gallon live well in my boat, right? We put so many fish in that live well, you couldn't get another fish in it. Like, and I'm pushing and I'm shoving. We caught so many fish that we filled that live well up, okay? It's midday. We stopped and filleted fish for an hour so that we could put more fish into the live well, right? Like, we filled this thing up twice in a day, okay? Now... As we're fishing, we're kind of moseying along over towards the dam area, right? And there's this, there's this sign on the, on the dam area that would be about half of the size, right, of what you've got right there. It says no fishing within 300 feet, okay? So you can't see that sign from 300 feet away. Either way, we fish up to this point, and I see that sign. I said, we should, we should probably get out of here, right? Like, we're not supposed to be in here. So we left, and the fish quit biting. He said, come on, man, take me back. Let's go back. I take him back in there, and he catches a four-and-a-half-pound smallmouth, right? Big smallmouth, okay? We caught every kind of fish that was in that lake, and, you know, there was a lot of sand bass in that lake, by the way. I mean, a lot, right? So we hear another boat motor fire up, and they drive right straight to us. Once again, we're the only boat on the water, and it was a ranger. Guess what was just right behind us, right? There was a sign that said, no fishing within 300 feet, right? They wrote me a ticket for fishing too close to the edge, really, is what the problem was. But they said, hey, will you agree to appear before the judge 
um, on this day and this time? And I said, no, I won't. I'm not going to be in the country that time. He said, well, you better go get it taken care of beforehand. And I said, yes, sir, I will do that. So uh, a few days later, I found myself in Lawton, Oklahoma, right? And uh, I sat in the courtroom. And it's, by the way, kind of set up about like this. This here is, right? Uh, there's a bunch of chairs, pews, whatever. And the judge sits on this, you know, big lofty bench. I don't know if you've ever been in the courtroom before. That was my first, right? Um, either way, I'm sitting in the back because I don't have an appointment, right? I'm hoping that the appointments don't last so long that I didn't waste my day and waste my trip going down there. Either way, I listened to person after person after person say they didn't run the red light, they didn't stop at the stop sign, it wasn't their fault, right? Like every one of them. Judge never lifts his head, just says, how do you plead? And I love him, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. It's finally my turn. I stand in front of the judge. And he says, how do you plead? And I said, guilty. And he said, huh? He looked up. I was the first person in that courtroom that day to say not guilty. I get the idea that wasn't the norm, right? And he looked at me. He just kind of smiled. He looked back down. He said, 150 bucks. Whack. So I had a $150 fine. But I had to go stand in front of the judge to do this, right? And um, I kind of... Felt good about the deal, right? That's not much money. I've paid more for guides and not cost anything, right? Not caught a thing. So I thought, all right, all right, this, this is not too bad. The next two times I, I stood in front of a judge, I'll make it brief. Um, it dealt with uh, our adoption. And I'll say that I stood in front of two different judges. One was a good judge and one was not a good judge. Um, the one that was not a good judge had a very, very bad... Um, judge of character, if that makes sense. Uh, she did not do her homework on any part of the situation. She was very uninformed. That's her fault, by the way, no one else's, right? Um, as a judge, you, you should not have that option, okay? You should be well informed, all right? Court case was moved to a different county, the proper county. Um, when it came time to stand in front of that judge, he had done his homework and he had made sure that all the uh, I's were dotted and all the T's were crossed right and that everything was the way that it was supposed to be. And um, I'll, I'll stop with those stories right there. But I've had really different experiences in front of many different judges. This particular passage, right, that we come to today, we find ourselves uh, on what I call J Day, right? You can call it Judgment Day, or you can call it Jesus Day. I don't really care which one you call it. Either way, it's a day that's coming for each and every single one of us. Okay, the the Scripture says right that um, this big, huge scene in heaven. Okay, and it says that all the angels are there. Right, all the nations are there. That means it's a big place. Right. So we've got King Jesus, King Judge Jesus, seated on this throne. And if you'll notice, it says the word glory several times, right? Usually when I hear the word glory, I think of a, of a ray of sunlight that's bursting through the clouds, right? That's just like a beam of light coming down. Because in Scripture, a lot of times, that's what glory is described as. 
just this weight from light, right? Which is really kind of impossible. But uh, in this particular part, this glory, Jesus in all of his glory, happens to mean honor. Okay? Picture this lofty judge's bench, right? King Jesus is sitting on it, and everybody's in front of him, just like we are this morning, right? Now, let me take just a, a little bit of time to explain why Jesus comes in all of his glory, right? Uh, glory is honor, which is won or acquired by a noble achievement. Let me tell you how Jesus got this honor and this glory. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, right? Even to death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Those in heaven, earth, and under the earth, right? Jesus, King Jesus is sitting on this throne, throne of honor. He's about to demonstrate his sovereignty, right? As judge, you say what goes in your courtroom. And nobody can do anything about it, right? Whatever the judge says goes. Now, I would point out in Scripture for you and I today, right, that Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that Jesus sits on a throne of grace, right, where we can actually come and receive grace and mercy for a time of need, right? By this particular point in the future, the grace throne is gone. Do I make myself clear? The grace throne for mercy is gone. What you will get at this point is judgment. You can come now and receive grace, which means unmerited favor, right? Mercy, kindness, compassion. Come J-Day, you're going to get what you deserve. I watch myself and I watch the people around me. And I feel like we do a pretty poor job of preparing for this day, right? Like the reality of what's coming, it's kind of hard to fathom, right? I mean, I told you I've only stood in front of a judge three times. But whatever they said is what I got. I just feel like we don't do a great job of preparing for what is to come. And, and I've heard preachers, and I've heard people say all of my life, are you prepared for judgment day, Right? I don't think that's the best statement in the world, just to tell you the truth. As I've gone over this passage, as I've read it 50 to 100 times, right? I get the idea 
It's not what have you done to prepare for this day. It's what are you doing to prepare for this day. Um, let's, let's hash that out just a little bit. We have the picture of Jesus, right, as the judge. We have the picture of Jesus as the king. And then we have a picture of Jesus as the shepherd. Now, remember, he's not there to make steers out of everybody that's been gathered, right? He's not there to shear the sheep. He's there to separate the sheep from the goats, right? Now, biblically speaking, right, um, sheep and goats, they're actually kind of a lot alike. Um, they look alike, they act alike, they stay in the same place, they live together, right? Um, to be quite blunt with you, right, there's sheep and there are goats in this room right now, okay? I can't tell you which is which. It's not my job, right? You don't answer to me. You will answer to Jesus. We have the picture of a shepherd, and he separates the sheep from the goats, right? Now, I can tell you one thing that I've picked up from this passage that tells me the difference between sheep and goats. Apparently, they act different. They may look alike, they may hang out together and do similar things, right? But apparently, they don't act quite the same. As Jesus is standing before this Massive crowd. By the way, I learned something in seminary, and uh, it's just stuck with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach it to you this morning. It's real simple. And by the way, I learned it in English class, right? Like, who expects to learn anything, at least that you want, right, in English class, okay? But, but hear me now. All means all, and that's all all means, okay? Did you catch that? All means all, and that's all all means, now, I I'm, want to remind you, all, right? It says all the angels. It says all of the nations. It says every person who has ever lived, you are not the exception. All are gathered before him. He separates them as a shepherd would, a sheep and the goats. And he says to those on his right, Come, welcome, right? Welcome into the kingdom. The place that's been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Come and receive your inheritance, right? I'm going to time out for just a second and talk about the word inheritance. Because if this was the only passage that we knew of the Bible, right? If we didn't look at any other part of the scriptures... We might be tempted to think that we could feed enough hungry people, that we could give enough drinks to people, that we could clothe enough people, that we could take in enough people, that we could do, do, do enough to get ourselves into heaven. Impossible. I feed hungry people every day for a living. You cannot feed enough people to get yourself into heaven. Okay? That is not how it works. You see that little word that says inheritance there? By the way, you know what inheritance is? 
and something somebody else worked for, but then they gave it to you. Right? So even if this was the only passage we had, it points us to the cross. It points us to what Jesus has done for us. Right? But when Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me, right? He's talking to the righteous. And those are his words, not my words, right? Let me sidestep for just a minute and tell you another quick story. I've been reading the Bible for roughly about 16 years at this point, right? I've been walking with Jesus for that many years. And I find in Scripture from front at least part of the way through the New Testament, right? Jesus shows up and he's gone. He shows up and he's gone. Then we get to the Gospels, right? And he comes and he hangs out with the crowds. And then at some point he ascends to heaven, right? And now we are waiting for him to come back, right? So um, with me in my mindset, the way that I think, the way that I read things, right? Like uh, we have what we call divine appointments. Well, uh, I've often wondered... I don't, I don't think Jesus leaves the throne, and I don't think he comes and walks on the earth, right? But if he did, like, what would he look like? Where would he be? And by the way, Lord, should you do that anywhere near me, I don't want to miss it, right? Like, I want to know, I want to know if you come into my presence, Right? But think about that for a minute. What would he look like? I mean, is he, is he the, the beggar on the street corner? Is he the one that's sleeping under the bridge? Dirty? Uncombed hair? Smelly? I mean, I don't picture the big lofty throne, right? Like, that's coming. But that's not present day here on earth. Uh, no, I picture him, right, as the lowly, as uh, maybe even the least of these. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I, I picture him as one of those people, right? But then I've got to stop and time out because it's really hard for me to picture Jesus as somebody that needs my help. Simply because I'm in need of his help, right? Each and every day. Wow. Several years ago, uh, I took my wife and uh, my youngest daughter to town to grab us some quick dinner. I, I had worked all day. I think it was on Saturday, if I remember correct. Come home. She didn't feel like cooking, but I sure felt like eating. So we headed to town, right? And uh, we went to Arby's on Main Street in Norman. Um, sit down, ordered, got my drink. I think the two girls went to the bathroom, whatever. I sat down, and this guy... He walks in the restaurant, and he goes up, he gets him a cup, he fills his cup, and I'm like looking at this guy, and if I've ever seen somebody that looks like Jesus, like this is the guy, right? This is the guy, and uh, I can't take my eyes off of him. Something about this guy has just got me like zeroed in on him, and so I'm like, Lord, is that you? 
And so the guy turns and looks at me, right? And I'm like freaking out at this point, right? And um, like I said, he fills his cup and then he goes and sits down and I'm staring at him and I'm, I'm afraid I'm starting to make him feel uncomfortable. So I turn my back to him, right? I position myself where I can't see the guy. And I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering what's going on behind me. Um, wife and little girl come in and uh, they sit down and I notice my wife looking at the guy, right? I'm like, yeah, something's up here. Something's up. But uh, I can't do what I want to do um, because I know what my wife's going to say, right? She's like, come on, do you ever quit, right? Come on, just leave people alone. Either way, we get finished and uh, we go out into the car and I just get the car and I sit down and I just kind of sit for a minute, right? And um, she comes in, she sits down and pull the key out, nothing. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, something's up with this guy, and I don't know what it is. She says, hey, did you happen to see that guy inside the restaurant? And I said, it took everything inside of me to keep from going over to him. She said, go, 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 go. So, like, I run out of the car back inside. He's gone, right? He's gone. I'm like, no, no. So I see him two parking lots away walking, right? I run this guy down. I ran him down. I said, hey, how you doing? He said, well, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I said, I'm Carl. And he says, I'm Kyle. I said, Kyle, are you hungry? All he ever did was fill that cup. He never got any food. I said, are you hungry? He said, Yeah. Just kind of froze, right? I said, let's go back inside. So we walked back into Arby's and sit down. I bought him whatever he wanted. I sat down and I listened to him. And he talked my ears off. He's like, are you not getting any food? Are you not hungry? And I kept telling him, you need to eat yours, right? Eat the food, eat the food. This guy wasn't Jesus. I'm not telling you that he was. This was a homeless guy from Texas who had just made his way up to Norman, Oklahoma because he heard things were better up here than where they were, where he was from, right? Um, strangely enough, I sent him to the place that I now work for, right? Mission Norman. Um, either way, hung out with the guy, and he would have really liked to have accepted Jesus, right, as his Savior just to make me happy, right, because I hung out with the guy. And I'm like, no, nah, you don't get it, man, but that's okay. Maybe one of these days you will, right? And... Uh, I don't know. I just felt like it was one of those divine appointments. So um, he goes on about his way, right? Like, but that affected me. He probably doesn't remember me, but I certainly remember him, okay? And uh, do y'all remember a few years ago, whenever I came and uh, I preached out of the book of Jonah, I shared a story with you about another young man uh, from a restaurant that I had met a week or two before, told you what he had written on the receipt um, as far as thank you, sir, for treating me as a fellow human being, right? Um, you took up an offering for him, and I took it back to him, right? Um, sat down with him, shared the gospel. He told me he's Muslim and thought that I was going to take your offering back with me. And uh, I pushed it off in his lap and said, I don't care who you are or what you are. And neither do they. They just want you to know that they love you. 
and that they want to help you however they can. So, uh, bring you up to speed on this young man. Um, gave him the offering. Later, uh, weeks, months down the road, took him to dinner just to go hang out with him for a day, right? And uh, let him pick the restaurant. He ordered his food, and he ordered it in a specific way, which I thought was a little strange. And uh, But I'm a detail guy, right? I pay attention to details. And um, I told him, let's go get you some groceries. So we stopped the grocery store, and I said, now we're going to go back and kind of hang out your apartment for a little bit. He says, okay, can you, can you run me by uh, 7-Eleven first? I said, sure. Strange request, right? Either way, ran him by 7-Eleven. Go inside. He stands in front of this little machine right in front of the window. It looks like an ATM machine, but he's, he's putting money in it, right, and not getting money out of it. So, you know, I'm pretty smart, right? Like, I, yeah, it's not an ATM. I don't know what it was, right? But either way, we get to the apartment, and uh, he starts turning lights on, refrigerator doors open, freezer doors open, right? By the way, he ordered his food in a way that he later told me it keeps longer that way, right? So... Um, I'm walking in, I'm noticing stuff. I said, hey, did you just have me stop at the store so that you could turn your electricity on so that you'd have electricity when I came in? He said, yeah. Totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. So, for those of you that don't pick up on stuff quickly, he takes cold showers because he has no hot water. Whatever the temperature is in his apartment is what it is, right? Doesn't ever run the heat and air. You can't. But, you know, you've got to have a residence to be able to do a whole lot of stuff, right? So um, he has a residence, right? He's bounced around. Right now he doesn't have a residence, by the way. Um, either way, hung out with the guy. And uh, later that same year, I bought him his first bed. Senior at OU, graduated, right? He's had one bed. <laughs> he called me one day and asked if I could help him move it. I said, nope, sorry. He didn't give me any time. I mean, no time, right? So the one bed that he did have, he lost it when he had to move, right? I don't know what you do sometimes with these situations, right? But let me pull you back into the scriptures for just a minute. I want you to know not one time when I helped that young man out did I ever think or consider that I was actually doing it to Jesus. But I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. I was mad this week. Left late because I had to stop and do something I didn't want to do. And I passed a lady who had a flat tire on the side of the road and I'm like, you've got to be turned around. I was on the phone with your pastor whenever I was. I said, I got to go, man. Somebody's got a flat. I changed her flat tire. And she said something to me that I still just can't. I don't know. She said, I guess everybody's running late for work this morning doesn't have time to stop and help me. I said, okay, okay, whatever, right? When I left, I got about a mile down the road, and you know, you hear that little whisper. You did that to me. He 
you thought you were stopping because of her, but you actually, you did that to me. Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty? Hmm. He uses a phrase, least of these. Okay? And he even goes so far as to say, least of these brothers of mine. So I'll time out for just a second and say that uh, I was a little disappointed in commentaries as I read on this particular passage and that particular phrase. I felt like I knew what that phrase meant ahead of time, right? Um, commentators, you'll get something different from each and every one of them. That's a little bit embarrassing to me, right? Um, we know who the least of these are, right? I mean, I just rattled off a list of them while ago. The beggars on the street corner, right? The ones under the bridge, the ones that haven't had a bath, the ones that need new clothes, the least of these, right? And I, I mean, just looked it up in the Greek just to make sure that I understand what it means. Like it's, it's a lower category of people as if that's a thing, right? I mean, it's the ones that we go around that we turn our back to so we don't have to look. We don't make eye contact with them, right? That's the least of these that he's talking about in this passage. When you did it to one of them, you did it to me, right? What are you doing to prepare for J-Day? That's what I want to ask you this morning. Not what have you done. What are you doing, right? He says, welcome to you who have done these things. Right? Welcome. And then he comes to a point, right? By the way, let me share two verses with you. Kindness to the poor is to loan to the Lord. And he will give you a reward. He gives a reward to the lender. That's Proverbs chapter 19. Hebrews 13, and I love this one. It's probably why I told you that story earlier, right? Let brotherly love continue, and don't forget to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have entertained angels as guests, not knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. And then, and then there's this, this last thing, right? It says, God will judge immoral people. Once again, reminding us of J-Day, right? So, um, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are saved unto good works, not saved from our good works, right? So, the idea is that something inside of the sheep moves us to help people who need help, right? I mean, these people didn't know that they were doing it to Jesus either. They had no clue. And I can't help, right? I can't help but think of the golden rule. Everybody knows the golden rule, right? I mean, we were taught that when we were in yonder, right? Treat others the way that you want to be treated, right? And I didn't say that was easy. I didn't say that wasn't going to cost you something. By the way, when was the last time you gave something up for the sake of someone else 
who definitely wasn't going to pay you back. Let me just get right to the point. The Apostle Paul said, I became all things to all people so that by every means possible, right? Like I might save some. I might see some come to Christ. When was the last time you did without so that someone else could have, right? So we come to the end here and we find that uh, Jesus welcomes the sheep and then he turns to the goats. And he says, depart from me. Depart from me. Into a place that wasn't even prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, right? Depart from me. Into the place that wasn't prepared for you. Because... You didn't feed me. You didn't give me something to drink. You didn't clothe me. You didn't take me in. And you didn't help me out when I was sick. And they say the same thing. When in the world did we see you and not help you? Notice he said you, he didn't say you could not. He just said you did not. And he says, well, when you've seen somebody in need and you didn't help them, you didn't help me. Sobering words, right? I didn't ask you what you've done to prepare for judgment day. I asked you, what are you doing? Right? Are you treating others the way that you want to be treated? Now, a couple of more things I'll share with you as I'm, as I'm closing, right? Is it a good thing to help those who need our help? I mean, biblically speaking, yes, right? You can not know anything about the Bible and know that you get something right here. You feel something right here when you help somebody who needed your help, okay? Not to be a Bible thumper, right? But the book of James tells us for the one who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, to that one, right, it is sin. Here's a picture of what that looks like when you did not help these people, right? That's what Jesus is saying to everybody who is gathered around, right? Now, also keep in mind, the fault does not lay in the fact that they did wrong. The fault lies in the fact that they failed to do right. Does that make sense? Uh point out a couple of uh, other things to you right quick. This is the eighth passage in a row that Jesus teaches on J-Day. That he teaches on the fact that we're all going to stand before King Judge Jesus, right? It's the eighth time in a row. 
This is also the last thing that Jesus teaches his disciples in the book of Matthew. Right? This is what he leaves them with. Okay? I'd say it's pretty important, right? And I'll leave you with one quote. Jesus leaves his disciples with the thought that how they treat the lowly and unimportant people in daily living is of greatest significance. They will serve their master when they serve the least of these. Now, I want to ask you a, a question this morning. Has the Lord spoken to your heart this morning? Has he put a name, a face, maybe a time in the past, maybe an opportunity that you know is coming up in the future to go and help somebody that you know needs your help, right? I trust that God has spoken to you and said things that didn't come out of my mouth, right? So what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is to acknowledge what he said to you and then respond, right? Now, you can do that in the pews. You can come up to the altar and pray. I'll be waiting down here to pray with you. If you would, would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a minute? I've done my best to make sure that we understand the importance and the reality of that final day, the day of judgment. If you're here this morning and you haven't ever prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior and you would like to do that this morning, I just want you to raise your head, look me in the eye, and then put your head back down. Just look me in the eyes and then put your heads back down. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want to tell you that the words are not near as important as the state of your heart. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I heard you speak to my heart this morning. And I want to make you my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my past, my present, and my future sins. And I ask you to make me a child of God. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.